yeah, it's just a way of, yeah, it's a way of getting the mind and body right. So, la la la, la la la. I don't know if my body and mind feel right now that I've done the laws. You want to try it, Justine? See how you feel. La. <laughs> La. La. <laughs> oh man. Good morning. Good evening. Good night. This is Bud Talks Podcast, episode two zero five. I've got very special friends in the house. The house being the studio where I do weird stuff. I do very weird shit. It's really weird in here. It's very weird. <laughs> we are in Portland. Portland, Oregon. And if you guys notice, these are not my voices that are talking. I'm not talking to myself. These aren't voices. There are actually other voices in the studio. It's true. I'm going to have them introduce themselves because they're professional. Probably a little bit more professional than me. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say ladies first. Well, thank you very much for having us on this podcast, um, TK. This is pretty cool. This is pretty cool. Well, my name's Justine. I am the significant other of the next guest that's going to introduce himself. Uh, but excited to be here. Thank Thanks. you, yeah. Justine. Yeah, my name is Mark Jacobs. And you just heard my significant other talking. And you're going to hear my friend Bud talk. See what I did there? Because Bud talk. <laughs> Could you add sound effects into this podcast? That would be great. What do you want for that one? Oh, one of those lame drum rolls when somebody tells a corny joke. <clears throat> yep, that one. Or we can integrate my saxophone. So, one way or the other. I'll look up some sounds and get some, uh, I don't know, some like whatever's on the internet. Because you get a lot of things on the internet. What you can't get is a podcast with your friends because that's an experience. Mm -hmm. But the internet can tell you how to do, but it won't give it to you. So do y'all you want to tell them what you do? Um, where you like you're from, you you two are, they're from South or uh, Southern California, Los Angeles. How dare you confuse <laughs> South Carolina and Southern California? I was trying to say it was a S O C A thing that we have nothing in common with South twisted. Carolina. No disrespect to anybody in South Carolina. I heard there's great food there. There's also really good food in, food in Southern California, and. Um, I don't know. I don't know if anyone's ever done a head-to-head -head comparison of cuisine in South Carolina versus cuisine in Southern California. Yo, I think I'm going to actually do something about that. Because as much as I don't care about food, I think I might actually do that. But tell them, tell listeners, who you, um, you're Mark Jacobs. I am Mark Jacobs. What do you, you can do? find what? me on the interwebs <laughs> at M-A-R-Q <laughs> Jacobs. And I'm an educator. I've been teaching for the last seven years. I've taught in multiple countries. I started in Japan, then I moved to Brazil. Then I came back to the United States to teach. And I've been in education for the last seven years. And I plan on staying in education for a little while. Terrell's my friend that I met in college and here we are sitting in the studio. So a whole bunch of weird things happen. <laughs> so Mark Jacobs was actually on Bud Talks um, about, what was it? We talked about fasting. We did. Yeah. So if you go, I'll put a link in the on the website to our first episode together. But that was, all we need is one bite. That was back in, damn, that was back in August. Wow. And uh, so that was one, two, one. Go check it out. There'll be a link. If you guys want to listen to that. We talked about fasting and meditation and a whole bunch of health stuff. And... Before we get started on some other stuff that people are going to hear, we're going to talk about Justine, what she's about. Awesome. So again, yeah, my name's Justine. Uh, I've also been in education for several years, uh, just like Mark. Uh, I am an educator. I started off my teaching career in South Korea and then came back to Los Angeles, taught, taught there as well, moved to Turkey lived in Turkey for a bit, came back, um, and still work in education. I'm transitioning over into financial services. I'm a certified financial educator. Um, I definitely wanted to do something like that because of personal experiences, but also being in the education space, we don't really talk about personal finance. We don't educate our kids on, on um, 
you know, how to budget. It's true. But we do. We do tell them to take out a $100,000 loan, student loan to go to college, but we don't tell them how to budget. They don't know what compound interest is. And so that really kind of pushed me to move into the education space of financial services and financial education. Justine actually did a little workshop for my class this year. It was teaching during COVID time. So it was all via ZHS, otherwise known as Zoom High School. <laughs> and we, we live together. We have our desks situated in front of each other. So she would see this class that I was always in. And when I say see, I mean she would see me in it. She wouldn't really um, see the class because the class, no one, in, no one in the class turned on their camera. It was just me talking to a bunch of black boxes with white font to represent their names. And I asked them at one point if they'd be interested in learning a little bit about money. They said yes. I said, great. The person sitting across from me knows a little bit about uh, money. So that was a fun time. Thanks oh, for I talking to my kids. Oh, thank so you for, for two things, me. I, I kind of want to talk about that um, financial education and then we can kind of go from there. But about the Zoom thing was kids just not turning their cameras on because they didn't want to be seen. Because after a while, they just get tired of like trying to dress up for the camera. It, it wasn't mandatory. There, there are a whole bunch of legal things that we, we don't really think of. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, the, the privacy concerns. And I don't know if it's legal or not. Uh, I think it's privacy. Some of these kids, or at least where I was teaching, was in South Central Los Angeles. These kids come from low-income communities. They often share bedrooms. They share computers. They have living conditions that are tough, for lack of a better word. And they, they're embarrassed to turn on their cameras. They don't want their teachers and their classmates to know that they're staying in one room with four different kids. They, they don't want to, you know, other kids and classmates to see that they live in a place that has, I don't know, dilapidated wallpaper or um, just broken windows or whatever it is, right? So it's a privacy thing. And we wanted the kids, we wanted the kids to be able to save a little bit of face. Uh, so we didn't mandate our kids turn on cameras. Kind of caused, um, I, I don't know if angst is the right word, but it was a little annoying as a teacher to not recognize any of my students, to not see who they are. Generally speaking, when you're having a conversation with somebody, you can see if somebody's nodding. You can see these nonverbal cues. You can see a smile. Somebody cracks a joke. There's a chuckle. You can see if someone's bored or if someone doesn't really want to listen to you. Um, with Zoom, there was no, there was no nonverbal cues, and oftentimes it felt like you were just talking into the void. Right. So I feel like with you as a teacher, like that kind of brought what you had to be a little bit more enthusiastic or like a little more confident in what you're teaching. Because I would imagine if I was doing that. I don't know. I feel like my mind will kind of slip into some. This is bored as fuck to me. Like I'm, I'm so done with teaching. I mean, <laughs> like, yes, <laughs> like, just not, like you said, like not getting that nonverbal feedback. Like that's the way I kind of look at it. I was Absolutely. his best student. Yeah. So yes. Yes. Sorry. My so girlfriend was. You would tell him, was, you would tell him like this sucks. Pick this, it up. Like he would put on a show. He was <laughs> in it, and because our desks faced each other, I would just kind of lean over. And like smile at him, give him a thumbs up. I would, I would react. I would respond to what he was saying. And even there are times where he was like, Justine, like, mm. hold on, like, hold on a second. But I, I, I think I was very much a part of that class and I did participate as much as possible. But to like see him, uh, I don't want to see you like teach, right? And not getting any response back is like really hard. It is. It's pretty annoying. It was, again, the, the worst thing that happened to me during this last year, during the pandemic, when so many people were struggling, uh, if the worst thing that happened to me was my job sucked, well, shrugs, who cares, right? My job sucked for a year. Most people go through jobs that suck for years. 
And for me, I went through this last year not getting the same sort of satisfaction that I would normally get from teaching. And to answer your original question of, did I have to put on a show? Yes, always. Teaching is a show, right? Kids nowadays have TikTok. They have YouTube. They, they have these 15-second clips that are curated to be maximum entertaining. And we have to compete with that as teachers. I have to tell them, actually, put that TikTok away. Put that limitless source of entertainment away while you listen to me explain to you how Abraham Lincoln gave the second inaugural address on this day. It's, it's a daunting task. We're always entertaining. Yeah. I mean, like, I kind of feel trying. like with, Sorry. Um, you say entertain or trying. <laughs> We're trying. We're always trying to entertain. There is a fair amount in, of acting, of entertainment, of fluff that a teacher needs to add if they want to be a good teacher. So I just go back to two things. There's like a cognizant level of desiring education. And then there's like the environment. So I feel like right now, there's a lot of kids with a little bit of both and it's like overstimulating. So for example, they have, phone's not on silent, but what the fuck? Anyway, so like <laughs> for example, you have your infinite, like you said, limitless source of right at your palm. And mm. even a laptop or whatever pads they give them. That limitless source of entertainment's right there. And on the other side, it's like there's all this stimulation of like, I mean, if kids are like naturally embedded with anxiety, it makes it even worse because then they're kind of going back and forth between being stimulated about, I don't know, being in class with kids or just being entertained in general. So I don't know. I feel like with the cognizant level, I feel like some kids are just a little bit more in the air with it. I feel like I was one of those kids. A little airy? Yeah. You calling yourself airy. an airhead? Yeah. Mm. Can be. Yeah. Can I mean, be. I'm, I'm sure we all have a, so a potential a, to. As an educator, like, how do you, I wouldn't even say compete with that, but, like, I feel like, if, I always say, if you can't beat it, join it. Like, become, like, for example, I'm thinking about, actually, I'm not thinking about, I'm actually doing a creative writing tutorial course on YouTube. So that'll start probably in August. I have a, I'm going to release a book and then do that. So I was talking to you, Justine, about how do you make subjects like, I mean, writing's very therapeutic. Writing's very, it's a creative process. So like, how do you make stuff like learning about money the right way? Because I feel like with entertainment, people see a fun way of making money, but that's only a product of what they did to get to where they're at on TikTok or wherever. But how do you make learning about like financial, I call it, like passive income or mailbox money. How do you get to that point of where you make it fun to learn at that age where you're like, you're competing to, you know, you're competing for attention when it comes down to it, because they don't really have to pay attention to you, especially if they're off camera. It's if they're off camera and if they have TikTok, they don't need to pay attention to me. Exactly. Yeah. Like I feel like the education they could get is on fucking Google. Mm. Yeah. YouTube. Yeah. All the information is out there. Information is not the answer. Right, because we have so much of it. Yeah, it's more so how we process the information, how we search for the information, whether or not we give up for it. Justine, that's a good question. What? How do you make something like compound interest interesting? And I asked you this, Justin, because we were talking about this upstairs. Like, you were kind of talking about the, um, like, once you kind of learn a certain way about money, then you kind of see the finance. Not. I hate to use the word financial freedom, but it's more like, how would you, how would you say? Um, the, the money mindset? Money mindset. Yeah. Money mindset, like kind of change your, your, I guess it's more of a, I guess, emotional connection to money. But like people see like people doing fun stuff on Instagram and TikTok and this stuff. It's like, how do they get the money for that? Well, I mean, where do you get to that? Where do you get to the point where you think you're financially free? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think about, I think about all the celebrities and the athletes who filed for bankruptcy and they make hella fucking money, right? But they are not good with managing their money. So whether you can make $40,000 a year and you're wealthy compared to someone who's making $400,000 a year and who's like living paycheck to paycheck. So it's not about how much money you're making. It's about how you manage your money. And 
I will say this. The first thing I taught Mark's kids when I went into his 12th grade class was mindset. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have the right mindset to want to change bad money habits, if you don't have that perspective and you and you are the, in the victim mentality, oh, you know what? I grew up poor, so I have to stay poor. If your mind isn't right, you're not going to get where you want to be. And that doesn't even have to do with money. That literally has can do with everything in life. So I was I was teaching Mark's kids. I told him, I was like, you guys, the first thing you need to do is it's your mindset. You need to go from scarcity to abundance. You need to start speaking positively about your money and about yourself, right? So I think that is incredibly important. And it's hard to teach that. And Mark and I talk about this often, but kids these days, they don't think long-term, right? Like they don't think long-term. They're thinking, I want this now. I wanna make money now. And then they're looking to buy like the next Nikes that come out. And it's funny. It's interesting. I was just talking and I'll say this. I was just, um, we went to go have drinks with some of Mark's friends in Seattle. And I was telling them that for me, right. I, I wear Nikes and I also own Nike stock. I drink Starbucks coffee every morning with Mark. I own Starbucks stock. Preach. Yo, you know, I, I literally have an iPhone, uh, a Mac. My, uh, you know, I, I am an Apple supporter. I own Apple stock, right? And I just think that if we can teach our kids about the, about the importance of ownership, like that's incredibly powerful. Um, I kind of digress there a little you bit. You mentioned long-term thinking. Yeah. I think that that's one of the hardest things to teach, to teach anyone y'all know about the stanford marshmallow experiment the gist and i could be butchering it but the gist of it is they have kids in a lab and they say we have one marshmallow here for you you can have it right now or if you wait two hours then or if you wait one hour excuse me you can have two marshmallows so they brought a whole bunch of kids into the lab and they said, you want a marshmallow now or do you want two marshmallows in an hour? And when they followed up with those kids, they let the kids freely make that decision and then followed up with those kids years later. When they followed up with those kids years later, they found that the kids who initially had chosen to get two marshmallows later were doing so much better in a slew of social aspects, better grades, more friendly, felt happier, more satisfied with life if they knew at a young age that patience was valuable, that thinking, that long-term thinking, knowing if I just wait a little bit, if I wait one hour, then I could have myself two marshmallows. Why would I just have the one right now? I can wait an hour and get two. If kids are taught that at an early age, then there is some research, there's some evidence somewhere that says these kids are going to do better in life, socially, happiness-wise. They'll do better if they can think long-term. And having taught the last four years in low-income communities, a lot of these kids, they have a hard time thinking long-term. They have a hard time thinking that what is happening right now is not necessarily indicative of what their life is going to be like for the rest of their lives. They think, you know, crap, I'm poor now, so I'm going to be poor forever. You know, TikTok is cool now, but maybe it won't be that cool in two years. They can't think past the next 30 minutes. It's I think, tough. I think it's because they think in their minds that they have all the time in the world to do that. And you're a 20-year-old. And you're just kind of spending your first paycheck. You guys remember when you got your first paycheck from your first job? Like, yeah. Bought a sound system. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you're not buying Nike mind stock. Mind you, mind you, yes, I'm not buying Nike stock, but I still own that fucking sound system. Nice. Two tens and a sub, two tens <laughs> and one amp that are still in the back of my car. Not the same car, but I've used that radio in every single car I've had. Since I bought it with my first ever paycheck. And it's a great sound system, everyone. Just want to say it that. It bumps. But, but, you know, we don't, we don't, um, 
we don't tell our kids, like the kids are thinking in their mind, well, I'm so young, I can still do this later. And then shit hits the fan at 50 years old and they're like, oh my God, I don't have a retirement fund. Oh my God, I don't have, um, you know, X amount of money, right? And now at that age, you're having, oh, I don't know, maybe you might be having kids, you might have a family. And it's like, people wait until like they have a family or they're at a certain age to like all of a sudden start take caring, taking care of themselves when you should be taking care of yourself from the jump first before you, you know. Yeah, you got to make the weight look sexy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. got to make the weight look sexy. I mean, that's that's a solutional pro uh, answer. But I mean, I don't know. I feel like there's like maybe one or two kids out of 100 that might be like. Kind of I'll take the up. two marshmallows. <laughs> Give me those two marshmallows right, in right. an hour. You know, right. most kids just say, Give me the goddamn marshmallow. Mm -hmm. But when you can think, I'll take two in an hour, those are the kids I think are doing well. T, I want to go back to, to something you were saying earlier about uh, how do we compete? How does a teacher compete with something as entertaining as TikTok or Instagram or YouTube? How do you compete with the internet, right? Um, I think something that we all forget is that learning is fun. When you're learning something, it's fun. When you're going to school... You're not, it doesn't mean going to school and learning are not the same thing. How many people have we all met between the three of us in this room? There are three degrees. There's at least one master's degree between the three of us. We are pretty educated, but we've all been to school and we met some idiots that we went to that, that were in colleges, right? Going to school does not mean you are learning. Going to school means you are going through the system. I think something that is lost, that gets lost on a lot of people, something that is lost, especially in the kids that you see mindlessly scrolling through Instagram, through TikTok, whatever. What's lost on them is that learning is fun. If you tell me, hey, man, this is how I soundproof the studio, right? I got this material and I soundproofed it like this. This is what, how I did it. And if you show me how to do it, it's cool. It's a fun thing. If you tell me that compound interest is going to make my one penny that doubles every day grow into over a million dollars in a month, well, then it's like, yeah, I, show me how that works. I think people like to learn. Just somewhere throughout the education system, we've made learning. We've tried to make learning and going to school the same thing. But we forget that you don't necessarily have to go to school to learn. And you don't necessarily learn in school. Mm, mm. You can learn anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think what education only did for me was kind of like make me realize what I didn't want to do. Mm. Like even going to U of O, like I tell myself now because it's high size 2020. It's like if I would have had a choice between, I, w I wouldn't say I would have went to work, maybe got a trade or like actually practiced something a little bit better and more after college. Then I would have said, I don't know. I probably wouldn't have did college because I think I only did it because of the lack of or the avoidance of a, of an insecurity. Mm. For one, on a racial level, I didn't want to be a black man without education. Mm. And two, just in general, I wanted to kind of create more opportunity for myself. So what that did was when I did leave college, it was more like, okay, I didn't really do that period of my life the right way. I didn't like kind of soak it up as much as I wanted to. But now that I have the education as it's like, a, I guess, a foundation, that's when I can actually say I've learned more in the last 10 years than I did ever in college. Yeah. Like, so I would just say education kind of does kind of put the ground set there. But like you said, we've kind of put this thing where college is, it's like you go to the system, but go to college if you don't know what you want to do, because out of it, even if you drop out, no one's judging you. I mean, a few people might, but fuck them. Yeah. And it's like, at least from there, you're going to know what you want to do if it's not education and that's the point process of elimination yeah I, mean, I i think there's a lot there are probably thousands of kids now who are who are in the same position hundreds of thousands that you just yeah. described and i it makes it really makes me think and I, I i think to myself and mark and i talk about this we need to be speaking positively about the other options that are out there us uh, that are not college to our high school students, to our middle school students. So that, and then again, here's the financial educator coming out right here. 
so that you don't have someone who goes to take out a $100,000 student loan only to be still trying to figure it out. Does that make sense? Yeah. So from a financial standpoint, I'm thinking, go to community college first if you're trying to figure it out. Maybe take a sabbatical. So many other countries in the world do that and they promote that. But like, I think we need to speak more positively about the other options out there and that it is absolutely okay to not go to college. Like you do not need to go to college to be successful. Let me ask you this. Did you... By the way, we're all of a different culture in this room. So like Totally, yeah. Like we're we're from different experiences. Like I grew up in a middle working class Christian family. Don't really follow Christianity anymore, but I kinda understand the values and I'm not super religious and your background is I'm Filipino and raised Catholic. <laughs> and Mr. Jacobs. Jewish Mexican. Diverse <laughs> <laughs> book. <laughs> A.K.A. El Jumex. Si sabes, sabes. <laughs> so, yeah, I, uh, like, for one thing I did get out of college was all the experience. I mean, for one, I was a black guy at U of O. Everybody thought I played, right. played a sport. Mm. I got kind of frustrated after a while. But the thing is, you kind of meet so many people. Because I was so open-minded, I wasn't like, I hate this place. After a while, I did say I hate that place. But I kind of started to learn how to embrace, like, how white people actually grew up. Mm. like suburb inner portland like i saw you know I, I was in a japanese immersion program so i was around like broke white people rich white people fucking mayors government governor sons in the fucking uh program i think or like people like in high judicial like people who are like very very successful their kids so like i'm working with or in school with them and i don't know like going to U of I kind of saw that to like at the next level like not all the smart kids end up being you know popular and or True. being successful or vice versa. But um, I feel like with education, I did kind of get a d very diverse experience of people's background. And I only brought up white people because that's kind of like... U of O. U of O. <laughs> and I fucking live in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. There's a, there's a definite very. lack of diversity at the U of O. At least when we were there, it did not feel very diverse. Um, pretty sure it ain't changed. I, I don't what, know how much it's changed? changed. I'm going down to Eugene tomorrow. We're going down to Eugene tomorrow. So maybe we'll find out. In a few hours. True. Right? True. Yeah, so they're actually leaving after this pocket. Well, we're going to get some food cart. We're going know. to Carlandia. Portland, baby. And then uh, they're going to go down to Eugene. But, um, yeah, so what do you, what do you, uh, so you guys, so y'all went up from, from LA, flew up to Seattle. What y'all doing in Seattle? Hung out. Jeez. Uh, Justine's really good friend lives out there. Hi, Vera. Uh, <laughs> she was great she opened up her house to us we were there for like a week um, we went camping we celebrated Justine's birthday out there we heard a really interesting rumor that I thought was hilarious Bill Gates or Bill Gates yeah allegedly uh, Bill Gates not allegedly I think it's true that Bill Gates owns property in Bellevue Washington Allegedly, this property is overlooking Washington Lake, and Bill Gates, rumors say, has a small submarine that is in Washington Lake. And if there's anyone on the planet that may or may not, any private citizen that may or may not have a submarine, I mean, Bill Gates is pretty fucking rich. I wouldn't be surprised. How cool Yo, would Bill it be? Bill Gates, do you have a submarine? <laughs> Can Bill, we see Bill, pictures? I've got a very <laughs> special gift for you if you can answer this question. Do you have a submarine? What's the gift? If I told you that, you wouldn't tell me. That's true. That's true. Bill, you better tell him. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> man. Yeah, so Speaking we, we of, were up there. Oh, go ahead. And no, I, I was just saying, we were, we were up in, in Washington. We, we passed through Bellevue. We actually had a, a birthday dinner at... Uh, in Bellevue. T, let me ask you, have you ever had fondue before? I have, yep. What'd you think of it? I liked it. I was pretty drunk when I had it. This was like, it was for a work party. And they got us drunk and we had fondue. The cheese one or the chocolate one? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's probably why I was hungover and sick the next day. But 
Which one? You had cheese and chocolate. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. So did you go to a melting pot restaurant? Yeah, actually, I think I've been to two. Okay. Um, but one, I've actually had both. So the melting pot, there's actually the melting pot downtown Portland. I don't know if it's still open, but that's a fondue restaurant. Yeah. I that's think... where we went in Bellevue. We went to a melting pot. Okay. Yeah. So is that a chain restaurant? Or I think it's a chain. Yeah. It's a chain restaurant. I had never seen one in Los Angeles. And I had never done fondue. I thought that fondue would be an interesting thing to do, right? Or we, of course, we can go to a fancy restaurant, pay 50 bucks an entree, and like have a good time. Sure. Yeah. Or we can do something a little bit non-conventional and like have a fondue. And and I went I went the non-conventional route. And I thought it was a good time. What'd you think, Justine? I mean, I'm glad we did that. I, I've never done fondue before. I've heard about it, but like I just knew that you like dip things into cheese. But I thought it could be anything you could dip in cheese. Well, yeah, I remember we had like <laughs> steak, bread, I mean fruit, even I mean Fruit cheese and cheese. We dipped cheese and cheese. So for Damn. the cheese section, right, part portion of that meal, they gave us like bread and broccoli and carrots. And then for the savory part, that's when they gave us like the meats. I almost kind of wish they gave us the fucking meats with the cheese. So let Is me explain. <laughs> well, let me let me explain. It was a four it was like a three course meal. It was a four course, four course meal because they yeah. gave us a salad first. After the salad, they bring out a bowl of cheese. And then with that cheese, that's when Justine's saying there's bread and there's vegetables. After you eat the cheese and the bread, they bring out just a broth. And it's kind of like Japanese shabu shabu or hot pot where they have this bubbling broth. And they give you meat in small chunks and you dip your meat into this broth and you cook it by leaving it in the broth. Then the last course is a dessert course. That's where you have like the bubbling chocolate pot and then you dip, you know, cookies or some marshmallows or whatever. Shout out to the two marshmallow kids. Um, <laughs> they, they have that chocolate course and it's cool. It's good. It's fun. It's, it's a communal thing that I really like. I will say to Justine's point about like the cheese and the meat coming at the same time, the meat was in chunks. They were very small like cubes. And you had to leave them into in the broth for two or three minutes. And I thought it was really strange because with shabu shabu, generally, the meat is sliced paper thin. And with your chopsticks, you just, it's called shabu shabu. Because in Japanese, the sound that the meat makes when you swish it around is shabu shabu. And then it's cooked. It's so paper thin that that's all it takes to cook it. And then you could eat your meat like that. At Melting Pot, you kind of had to boil your beef and I that's I remember doing that for uh for one of them the, the meat was actually raw. Yeah, they and give the it to you raw. Boiling, right, and then you leave it in there for a couple of minutes and it cooks. Yeah. And I I don't I'm not one to boil beef. You know, you give me a steak, I'm not going to boil it. I'll put it in a sous vide. I'll pu- I'll put throw it on the grill, a cast iron. I'll even chop it up, you know? But I I'm not gonna I, I'm not one to I don't I don't think, "Oh, I got a steak. Let me go boil this." <laughs> what? Yeah. That doesn't really make sense unless, unless you're a broth or something. if you're making a broth, you boil it for a long time. But I don't think give me a cut up New York steak in cubes so I can boil it. Mm, that's not necessarily wasn't appetizing like that. I think it's shabu shabu is way better um, where it's sliced paper thin. And all you got to do is shabu shabu. Shabu and it's shabu. Cooked. That's right. I think for my birthday next year, I want shabu shabu. I mean, we don't have to wait till your birthday. We could just go get shabu shabu at any time. Well then. <laughs> When's your birthday? June twenty seven. Oh, so you just oh, this that's her, the reason for yeah. the trip. Yeah, her yeah. birthday was last week. Yeah, well, happy birthday. True. Well, I, We're I not asking your age, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I like older women, everyone. Hey. <laughs> you know, but yeah, after our trip, oh, I, you know what? Like, shout out to Mark and my girl Vera. They, like, completely surprised me. And they put a lot of thought and time into planning my, like, birthday week and day. And, like, I just feel incredibly grateful and blessed. We went axe throwing, which, by the way, I've been, like, wanting to go for so long. And I just never got the chance to go in L.A. 
And then I had mentioned that to Mark and he like, Mark and Vera totally made it happen. Never and let me, and if y'all have never been axe throwing, <laughs> it is so much harder than it looks. True. Have you been, T? I've only did the ones at the arcade. Okay. okay. Yeah, arcade axe throwing, not a real axe not into a real axe like throwing. a cork no. board. No. Like there is technique, there is stance, there is like, you, you like, you cannot just throw it like in the movies. It's not. You can't throw it like a baseball. Yeah. You can't throw it like a football. Well, isn't it like lead with the forearm like that? Yeah, it's kind of like darts. Remember, T? Yeah. We, I yeah. had a dartboard yeah. in my in my apartment in Eugene. It's it's kind of like darts. The more wrist that you put into it, the more off you are. It needs to be like real direct, sort of at the elbow. It's it's weird. I wasn't very good at it. Clearly, you were great. I I got a video of you like hitting a bullseye. <laughs> well, I've have I have proof. I have proof. <laughs> Not that bad. Yeah, I got like one out of forty throws that I had. So so uh, before I bring this story up, shout out to all the homeless people in Portland. I was um, <laughs> well, I only say that because I, I I see them all the time and I think about them and I always feel like we're all like what about a bad day away from that too. Maybe a little longer True. for some people, but we're all an unfortunate event away from being homeless. <laughs> <Right. laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I think about it all the time. So, but I saw these uh, men on the corridor, the Springwater corridor, axe throwing, and I felt scared for a second because I was with Kali, and I think for a second I was kind of like Why? the dog. Yeah, the dog. Kali, the dog. Kalima, the destruction of time and preservation so like i saw these guys like they were like throwing axe and i was like why the hell are these dudes throwing axe i didn't really know what it was i just saw them throwing axe mm. and then i got closer past them they actually had set up like this little board. a wooden board uh, yeah. to catch yeah, where their first, axes are being thrown. at first i was like what are these crazy motherfuckers doing mm. but then i thought like oh they're axe throwing oh you know just like yeah right randomly axe throwing it's totally i think i like tell that story because for a minute i was like kind of like, what the fuck? Should I turn back around? Are they going to throw that axe at me? Yeah. That's frightening. Yeah. Yeah, you had to be in like a cage. Think of a batting cage where you have a single lane and then there's the net in front of you that like protects the... What is it? The net? No, the net protects the machine, right? You can hit the ball back in a batting cage. You hit the ball back, but the, there's a net that protects the machine so you don't hit and break the machine. Right. Um. When you're axe throwing, it's just like you're inside of that same little cage, and then there's, you know, like a target. It's like you're playing darts. Darts were fun. T, I think you, I think the only thing this studio is missing is a dartboard. The ceiling's too low. The ceiling might be too low. Because somebody who's like six foot five couldn't play. Couldn't fit in here. You're right. No. You're right. Maybe you need to put that in the garage. Maybe. I grew up with a dart. My dad had one in his basement. Why did you suck at darts then? You're just saying that because you like to talk shit to me around me. <laughs> I don't know. I I lived in Eugene, Oregon for two and a half years. And I'd say Terrell was pretty much part of my circle for those two and a half years. I had a dartboard in my house for two years. And and again, I do like to talk shit. But Terrell did suck at darts. I did not suck at darts. <laughs> it's okay to admit it. <laughs> we used to drink and play that. So we all sucked at darts. So I wasn't really at my quintessential state of mind to be, to be like this hitting bullseye every time. That's what they all say. Yeah. Yo, you guys watched an interesting documentary yesterday. Document documentary. Documentario. Documentario. See, si, we did. Y'all watched two, right? Or was it just one? We did watch two, actually, was, about wait. two varying subjects. Justine, you want to break it down? Wait, so what was the two you watched? We watched The Pharmacist. That's right. That's one. And the other one? Oh, it was the one on DuPont. The oh. Devil We Know. The Devil We Know. Yeah. Sorry, I just blinked out on the title there. DuPont. DuPont. I don't know much we about watched... DuPont. Oh. What okay. happened with DuPont, Justine? Well, we watched the movie Dark Waters, so that kind of set that up. But basically, DuPont, they're the creators and makers of Teflon. And so in frying pans and shit. Yeah, so the, you know the whole nonstick thing, right? And so basically they were like the chemicals and the pollutants and the I'm looking for the right word here, the right the 
right off? C8, the runoff. Yeah, the runoff, right? The runoff of C8, which is the chemical that is in Teflon. Used to make Teflon. Yeah, was like going, was being dumped intentionally into the rivers, right? Of West Virginia yeah. or, yeah. Yeah. West Virginia, I'm pretty sure. And so the wildlife were, they were getting infected and all of a sudden dying and rotting and um, the people were drinking that water. And so, and their the workers, teeth were turning black. Yeah, exactly. And the workers, because they were exposed to C8, for example, the pregnant, like the women, pregnant women, their babies were born with birth defects. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's. Do you guys remember how they linked that to the, like the kids and then the, what's, what's being dumped in the, in the. Well, it started because this one farmer, bless him. His, Tenant, I think was his name. Yeah. I, I, I'm not very good with names. And so I apologize. Um, he basically noticed that his cows and the wildlife around him on his farm they were they were not they did not look normal. They looked very unhealthy and he was like this is so weird that this cow is dying. This is just like all of a sudden dying. This deer is all of a sudden dying. And so he started looking into that. And what he ended up hiring a lawyer, right babe? Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah, he hired a lawyer and so, so the way I remember it, this fellow tenant sold a bit of his land to the DuPont company mm -hmm. that was there in West Virginia. He sold that land and he shared, like his land bordered the land that he sold, obviously. And DuPont was dumping chemicals into the stream where this man's cattle would drink, where oh, that makes sense. it was close to him, right? Mm -hmm. And he noticed that the water looked funny. He noticed that his cows would drink the water and their teeth would turn black. The whites of their eyes would turn opaque. You couldn't see through them. They, 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 they got darker. Um, he also noticed that they were dying, right? Just like super quickly. They would just like keel over and die. His whole... Um, his whole fleet, his whole flock of cows. Is it a flock of cows? Flock, well, I don't, yeah. I'm not sure if it's a flock of cows. I'm not sure what it is. But his whole like ranch basically was dying. And he said, this is DuPont's fault. He got a lawyer and sued DuPont for dumping chemicals into the water where his cows drank and killing his cows. So a uh, herd of cows. A herd. But Excuse what... Me. Um, as y'all should not just Google that shit. I'm an English but. teacher and I forgot. <laughs> I'm not going to be an English teacher anymore. How long anymore. had he been a farmer for? Ah, a long time. He was a yeah. lifelong farmer in gotcha. West Virginia. Yeah. So like once this shit started happening, like the cows He knew just... it was uncommon. He said right. cows don't just drop dead. Cows don't have black teeth. Their eyes don't look like that. What is wrong? What are they doing? He noticed that not just his cows, but all of the adjacent wildlife, the birds, the deer, anything else that was in the area that was drinking from that stream was dying. What, and um, they were dying because of the they, chemicals in there. In there? Like, what, it this? was called C8 polyfluorol or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, it was a something that was used, a byproduct left over from creating Teflon. And it's not good for you. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. Yeah. I mean, shit, I feel like in this, like, what what part of it? You said DuPont, West Virginia. West Virginia? Yeah. I mean, they could only get away with that in that area because imagine if you do that near a city. You can't do that in a major city. No. So they, they tried to do it in a rural town. Yeah. I guarantee you what ends up happening is, so they'll pick these type of places, right? And this is me just straight up. Intuition. speculation yeah is that you go low risk or high reward low risk mm -hmm. so the lowest risk they think worst case scenario we'll just deal with one farmer's lawsuit or whatever and then versus dealing with like hundred thousand people who will like do something a lot worse well because of the city because of that farmer because of him 
you know, that put DuPont on the map. Because yeah. now people are looking at DuPont like, yo, what's going on with this? And then that chemical got into the tap water of the of the residents of this the, you know of that area so that's just bad business i mean that's bad planning. <laughs> right right and correct me if i'm that's wrong bad about planning. that because they because you, you got to know like what i mean yeah like i said like low risk i mean that low risk can be like a very high i guess what do you call it um negative effect on one thing which is part of their pr like them in a public lie now like you said True. like they put them on the map not in a good way yeah yeah at all well they oh, I mean, they try to save themselves, like everyone, right? You're just trying to save yourselves. and They hire a PR firm, say they weren't putting that much into it. And that the little drop that they were putting, like whatever was going in there was safe to drink. So they basically sent all these residents a letter in the mail indicating like, okay, we just want to let you know that this is in the water, but it's so little that... It, we are confident that it, it's okay for you to drink. So they had somewhat of a disclaimer. There was a, dec- a disclaimer that went out that said, or an according, or yes, an advisory. It said, according to our standards, the amount that we're dumping is safe. So don't worry. We think what we're dumping is safe. I mean, they're not going to tell you that it's not safe. Right? That's a that's a PR nightmare. Yeah. They said we've created these standards. We think that the amount we're dumping is more or less safe. I think it begs the question, why the hell are you dumping it? Like can't you do something else with it? Why do you have to dump it into our drinking water? Why do you have to destroy our wildlife? Because it's safe to dump? I'm pretty sure I can eat a burger, throw the wrapper on the floor and say it's pretty safe. It's just one wrapper. But it still begs the question, why the fuck am I throwing something on the floor? Who cares if it's safe? You're still polluting the environment. You still shouldn't be dropping that stuff into the environment. It was um, it was a lot more interesting than we're doing it justice, I think. I think the, the devil is in the details. The devil we know is the name of the documentary. It was like an hour and a half on mm-hmm. Amazon. Yeah. Five bucks. Thanks, T. <laughs> um, it was it was good. I think the the pharmacist was a little bit more interesting. Oh, Justine, uh, you wanna you wanna explain that one? Yeah, totally. the pharmacist is what we talked about a little bit more. Okay, so the pharmacist, four episodes on Netflix, really really good. Basically, this pharmacist, uh, Daniel Schreider, right? He from Louisiana. Uh, his son was murdered in a bad drug deal, right? Um, his son was murdered and he had no idea that his son was like going through some shit. You know, he didn't see the signs, he didn't recognize it. Like, And the way that they paint the picture, this is like a happy family that like traveled the world that w- seemed very supportive of their two kids, you know? And so that was the way that Netflix like painted that painted that family and Mark feel free to I thought it was really cool that they always showed that family's Christmas tree yeah they made it a point to buy the biggest Christmas tree in Louisiana something like that it was like a 19 foot tall 18 foot tall Christmas tree every year they basically paint the portrait of a very happy family yeah extremely happy family they were called the Griswolds so if you guys ever watched that movie with um Chevy Chase I think he's on there law yeah. like 1990s movie like yeah like, that's um Damn, what is the name? Something of that Christmas, movie? some yeah, right? Like, well, isn't it like the National Lampoon? I is maybe. Yeah, we can look that up. I but basically, National they National paint... Lampoon's Vacation. Yep. Yeah, then they have one with Christmas too. And they have the Christmas one, and so he even says it in the documentary. Like everybody knew them as the Griswolds, and they just look like a very happy family, and they did not recognize the signs in their son Danny, right? Like that he was struggling. And so Danny one evening told his parents and his sister that he was going to go study for a test at a friend's place. Danny ends up going to the lower north uh, ninth ward in Louisiana, which is known to be full of violence and drugs and it's the gangs. Hood. Yeah, it's the hood, right? Um, TK, you're from there, so no. Well, you're from <laughs> you're from Louisiana. Your, no, your family's, family's from, from Louisiana. your family's from Louisiana. Shreveport, shout out. <laughs> uh but so he goes there 
he gets murdered in a drug in the drug deal. Um, and basically, long story short, that his dad goes on this like crusade, like this personal investigation of trying to figure out and understand what happened. Why did my son get murdered? He even hunts down. He literally hunts down like who he thinks is the killers. He's oh, he's doing his own private investigation. It's very impressive, actually. Very impressive. True. But what I got from that was, man, if you're extremely passionate about something, you're going to go after it, right? You're going to dig. You're going to figure it out. You're going to make it work. But this guy, as they say, he became obsessed with trying to solve his son's murder. But he said, I wasn't obsessed. I was just driven, you know? Mm. So... The, he's a pharmacist. Daniel Schreider is a pharmacist. And he starts to notice these young cats like coming in. These kids are like 16, 15, 17 years old. Look like getting prescribed. They needed a fill on oxycotin, right? Okay. So now he's thinking to himself like, hold on a second. You're like 16 years old. Like, why are you getting prescribed this? And this is not like 10 milligrams and then up to 20, and then 40, and then 80. Like it's the, an immediate dose of 80 milligrams of Oxycontin. Right. Along with Soma and Xanax. Yep. The so Holy he, Trinity. The Holy Trinity, as they said. And so, you know, Schreider, Danny, is thinking to himself, like, hold on a second. Like, you're young, you're healthy, you're coming in, and you're getting prescribed these three medications... Like regularly. So he's like, something's not right. He goes to find out that there is a doctor who was a former pediatrician, decided to open up her own practice. A in, pain management practice. In the seediest part of town where like you would never like think that there would be a doctor there. Right. And so he's like, something's not right. He starts to dig in, finds out that this doctor who was a former pediatrician opens up this pain management um, office and is like serving people at like one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. So it's like outside of business hours, you know? Why is a doctor, I've never been to a doctor at two in the morning. Yeah, I've yeah. never seen a doctor's office open from like past 4 p.m., 10 p.m. to <laughs> right. 8 a.m., unless it's an emergency care place. This is a pain management company or or a pain management practice. Where you would say, oh, I got into a car accident, my pain, my back hurts, doc, help me out. And the doc would write prescriptions. Basically, is this guy, the, the whole documentary, this four-part series, is about this man whose son was murdered. And then how he noticed people were abusing Oxycontin and his crusade, basically, to figure out how the hell are so many people abusing this shit? Mm -hmm. Where are they getting it from? And he, he finally discovers this doctor and he uncovers a whole lot of stuff. He was basically calling out the opioid epidemic in 2001. And now, I mean, 2021, we see this cat who said in 2001, 20 years ago, hey, people are abusing Oxycontin. They're overdosing. They're dying. And... In 2021, the people responsible for starting that opioid epidemic, not necessarily that doctor, but Purdue Pharma, those people are, are kind of pivoting. They realize that they've created a, a generation of addicts. So these addicts are going to need help with recovery. So their Purdue Pharma is now pivoting, allegedly, into um, helping out with addiction. In the treatment phase, right? Go figure, right? They're going to addict you and then they're going to treat you and they're going to make money the whole time. Bums. Sounds familiar to a couple other industries. Yeah. yeah. Damn. I would I would definitely recommend watching it. Yeah. Like, the Pharmacist it's... and uh, The Devil We Know. Shout out to my friend Jacob Waker's father-in-law, Roger, who told me about both of those documentaries. Um, very fun. Roger's really cool. Yeah, Found he's out the one that good. called me a bitch for thinking and uh, <laughs> I was drinking my drink out of a... Yo, Terrell, I got to tell you this, man. Straw. When we showed up, so July 3rd, Roger throws the 3rd of July party. July 4th, we show up, and a few of my buddy Jacob's friends are there. Armand was there. I don't know if you remember Armand. He also, I'd have to see his face. You'd have to see him. He's a cool cat. He, um, he says... 
that he he wanted he asked for you specifically. He wanted to know if you were showing up. And I said, nah, I don't think T's coming today. Um, he's got something going on. He's like, dude, I just wanted to apologize to him because two years ago at the party, I was the guy drinking out of the straw. <laughs> and Roger made it a point. He came right up to Terrell. He was like, Terrell, you were here a couple years ago. You were drinking out of a straw. Only bitches drink out of straws. Yeah. <laughs> and... And Armand wanted to apologize. So on behalf of Armand, he's sorry that you caught the brunt of Roger's insults. It's all good, Armand. <laughs> I don't take insults, so he did not offend me. If it's all good. He made himself look stupid. <laughs> it was a great party, though. Oh, Thanks, yeah. Roger. You guys need a break or something? Oh, wait, one, there's one thing I do want to address, and I just remembered this. Ask so me. on the last, I mentioned earlier, so Mark, you've been on this podcast. It was episode one, two, one. True. And I told you that I would um, do a five-day fast. True. And since then, I've only done 12 and 24-hour fasts. Mm. And um, so what ended up happening was... Here comes the excuses, everybody. Shit got weird. Mm. <laughs> no, like, I don't How know, so? I don't know. My, I, like, once I go like a certain amount of time without food, I start having like these weird heart palpitations. I actually talked about that on like two podcasts ago. And like, um, I don't know if it was like low blood sugar maybe. Or um, I asked my doctor about it. They said it's anxiety driven. But like what would fix it is eating. Sure. So I, I'm clearly not a doctor. As I've been reminded this but, weekend, yeah. I am not a doctor. <laughs> don't, don't take my advice ever, right? And and just trust the doctors as blindly as you possibly can. <laughs> trust yeah. the doctors who will prescribe you opioids for a sprained ankle or some shit like that. So the I, reason I, why I, oh, go for, no, 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 no. I was gonna I, say the, the reason why I brought it up is because I wanted so Mark, we were talking about fasting. See and bringing up, I guess the, I guess I don't know the. I mean, you you fasted last month, right? You guys just did one like five days last week. Yeah. Before last we week. went out to Seattle, we finished a five day fast. Gotcha. Both Justine and I. But you've worked up to that, like, and I think we did talk about like in the beginning you would have like lightheadedness or like something like that, like when you go. You know what cures any sort of lightheadedness when you're fasting? Salt. 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 Salt is we good are, for you. We're a lot of salt. I, I believe in that. I believe in that. When I notice that I'm getting a little bit of a headache, I just take a pinch of salt and it goes away. I've even like told my girlfriends to do that and they do it. What do you eat up until the fast? Whatever oh, you want. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It helps if you're not eating carbohydrate rich foods, protein and fat. If you can go more like low carb ketogenic style leading into the fast, it'll be easier. But I, I think the hardest part about a five-day fast is the the mental aspect, the psychological aspect. I'm not going to eat? What? What if my friend wants to go? What if my girlfriend needs to go out somewhere? What if, what if somebody's having a party, but it's Saturday? I always go out on Saturday. We, we have these stories that we continuously tell ourselves about food. And one of the reasons I would recommend everybody to do a five-day fast would be so that you can rewrite that story. We think, oh, I can't, I can't go a day without eating. I get hangry. And well, why do you get hangry, right? Our, our ancestors went days without eating and they survived. Um, I, I think there is, there's a lot to learn in, in abstaining from food for a little while. And aside from feeling really good, aside from thinking really well, feeling really good physically it just psychologically restructures your relationship with food and i mean we can talk about it i i, I don't know which what questions um, you have per se. i don't know why you haven't done one yet we've we've since since my... august we've done one two three uh so summer spring new year's and then last fall. So we've done four fasts since that last August. I think the only reason why team. I brought it up and for two why I haven't done it is because I don't think that maybe it's all in my mind. Of course it is. But because of how my body was reacting to no food after so long, I didn't know. I, I wasn't confident in my body would actually be able to do it. And hey, so I'm not going to force you. 
the 24 hours is the longest I've gone. Um, so I don't know if you fasted before and gotten past that part and you're listening to this, let me know. Cause maybe I just need to get past that. But that was why I didn't do the five day fast. Cause my body was doing weird shit. Tell him it's in his head. He'll be okay. Drink some water, have some salt, go on a walk. You'll be fine. He said, I'll be fine. Terrell's healthy. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Bud here, but he's healthy. <laughs> he's healthy. He works out. He runs. We went on a hike earlier this week. We went five miles, four and a half miles. Four and a half? How long was the hike, Justine? Four and a half miles. We went four and a half miles. Terrell didn't even break a sweat. <laughs> he was walking backwards. He was laughing. He was joking. He was racing his dog up the, up the hike. He was racing Collie up the hike. Yo, that was this, dope, man, man. this man is in shape. And if he said, oh, my body couldn't handle five days without food. No, your mind couldn't handle it. I think your, your, your body can easily handle it. Man, I talk about mindset all the time. And I'm over here just like being a little biatch. He said it, not me. I don't care. I eat, though. <laughs> we're eat. all going to go eat right now. Yeah, we're about to go to the carts, and then they're going to drive down to Eugene, Oregon. Go Ducks. Um, yeah, any last words? Any last... Peace out to hair greases. Uh, What's exciting coming up for you, Justine, besides this food and a drive down to Eugene? Awesome. So I actually started an Instagram business page. Okay. At Miss Financial Fitness. And basically what I want to do with that is it's kind of like full circle, shall we? To the beginning of this conversation about like, Teachers competing with TikTok and Instagram. Um, I wanted to start an Instagram page that talks about finance, hopefully motivates you, but also helps you take action. And I think for me, more important, if you come across my page and you see something and then you Google something after, like that's already a win. Or is, is you your, see like, what I'm saying? AdWords like, or Google, Google search set up like that or something? Nope. Because if let's say you just read one of my posts and the post is the post is talking about investments or long term investing. Right. Or the word is like stock index fund. If you don't know what that is. Right. And then you go into Google. You've sparked you, an idea and you open. Yeah. You open up a new tab and you're like, well, what does that mean? That to me is like that's the win right there, because at the mm. end of the day, like if I can catch your attention enough to trigger your curiosity like that that's the win it's the yeah. essence of education so, yeah. it's yeah. like uh i read um somewhere on instagram that education means uh in, in a different language. maybe i should look it up but it's like educator or it's like a different language or whatever and what it really means is like to kind of self enlighten yourself it's supposed to inspire you to want to learn so it's almost as if it's plants a seed mm-hmm. mm. And education's job as a seed is to make you more interested or curious about one thing or another. Yeah. Amen. And I, you know, I, I, that's a, that's a phrase that I use often too. It's like planting the seed. I'm just planting the seed. I'm just planting the seed. Cause at the end of the day I can plant the seed, but who's going to water it? You are right. The consumer, right. the student, the learner, you're going to water that seed, whether you want to, if you want to is basically what I'm saying. So I started that page. Um, it's, you know, I literally just started it a few weeks ago. So it's my little baby project that I'm going to follow her <laughs> at Miss Financial spell Fitness. Spell that out, Justine. At Miss, M-I-S-S, Financial Fitness. Yeah. Yeah, that's like, that's my business page. Of course, I have my personal, but that one there is going to be the one that I'm going to, I'm going to be doing some oh, educating on miss financial fitness all spelled out yeah so that's my that's my project right now and that's kind of what i want to pour into um and do some coaching so if you're listening to this and you'd like some one-on-one coaching financial mindset that kind of stuff i got you hit her up mark what about you I'm looking forward to going home and hanging out with my cat. I taught my cat, I taught our cat how to give her paw. Clicker training, y'all. If you have an animal, buy a clicker on Amazon. They were like four bucks for me. 
I bought a pack of two, a two pack of clickers, and they make a little clicking sound. It's behavior, click, treat. You have a dog, you have a cat, you have any sort of animal, you ask for the behavior, you model the behavior, aka if you want the paw, grab her paw, click, give her the treat. Do it again a few times and you train your cat to give you a handshake, basically. And what's going on for me is I'm looking forward to going home and training my cat. I'm, I, I love that, though. I, I think cats are really misunderstood. That's a whole different podcast. And that's a whole different podcast. But I think Mark and I have done a really good job training our, our little ramen. Buy a clicker. The cat's name is ramen. Like ramen. the soup. We don't eat her. Buy a clicker and train your animals. It builds a bond. It's fun. Cheers, y'all. Cheers. Thanks, everyone. So we ain't done yet. You no, I'm playing. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. So, um... This was and still is Bud Talks. What did I say this was? 205? 205. I just make this shit up, y'all. I really don't care sometimes. I'm just making this shit up as we go. <laughs> but, he uh, gonna edit that out. On some real shit. Um, excuse me, on some real stuff. On some real topics. More serious note here. We're going to Carlandia, going baby. To Carlandia. <laughs> Next episode, I'll probably be talking about my book. Mark helped me out with that a little bit. But like I said, more on that next episode. I'll it's a narrative. Title. It's fun. Read that shit. Yep. Still kind of figuring out some tweaks, but I'm planning. Actually, you know, y'all know I don't do release date. So when it's ready and very soon, very, very soon. And then after that, I got another big thing I'm doing, but that'll come up next time on your Bud Podcast. I didn't even say my podcast right. Bud Talks <laughs> Podcast. Bye. <laughs> Good morning, good evening, good night. From Portland. Have a good fight. From P-Town. Does anybody call that shit P-Town?